Welcome to the Coffee Talks podcast. My name is Ella. And I'm Joe. And we're the co-founders of Honey and Roses Coffee. Your one-stop shop for all your coffee needs. We're bringing together the best small batch coffee roasters. And the best artisan made sweets from across the US. And this is our podcast, Coffee Talks. Coffee Talks is a place for you to chat about your burning coffee questions. Meet our roasters and partners. Learn some new coffee recipes and hacks. And get to know us better. Let's go. Uh, can you be a little more enthusiastic? No, I'm British. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Ella and I'm one of the co-founders of Honey and Roses Coffee. I am here today with Tony from Graziella Coffee and I'm super excited because he has not only amazing coffee, but he is running this complete business and company alone. He is the roaster. He does all the delivery, um, you know, mailing everything out, packing everything, sourcing coffee. It's really, truly remarkable. He is a one-man operation, and it's amazing to watch how much he has grown and evolved and how great the coffee is. So let's get started. Tony, tell us a little bit about your coffee company and how you began and the backstory. Sure, sure. I'll give you a little bit and then you can ask questions wherever you feel necessary. Yeah, for sure. Um, how I got started. I'll go back. I know it sounds like a long way, long story, but I'll go back <laughs> to my childhood. Um, my parents were in the coffee business. My aunts and uncles were in the coffee business through my grandparents on my father's side. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, my grandparents and my grandfather and my grandmother opened up a franchise location of something called Bessie and Donuts in Northwest Connecticut. Huh. And, you know, they were a uh, coffee and donut shop they specialized in making homemade uh, fresh donuts daily in the back so they're kind of like a manufacturing slash retail space in the same way in which you'd see at like a dough donuts or yeah yeah all the trendy places now (laughs) yeah exactly that idea super fresh donuts good roasted coffee and they weren't in the they weren't on the roasting side they bought their coffee roasted um but they were on the fresh baked goods side so my grandfather ended up, my grandmother ended up passing away from lung cancer quite young yeah, before right. I was even born. I'm, I'm 29 now and I never even met her. She was gone before I was born. Yeah. And my grandfather ended up having a stroke quite early. Oy. And yeah, so <laughs> because of that and because of the demands of the business, my dad and his brothers had to take over. So, you know, I was kind of born into that situation where my dad, yeah. and a few of his brothers and my aunts and my mom were helping to run the business and Grew up running around the back of the store, working at the store, sitting at the sitting at the bar, you know, hanging out with customers and eating donuts yeah. and just being in the environment, which I really enjoyed. Did they um, roast or what? It, when your dad took over, did what did they do? No, they never ended up roasting. They, yeah. they ended up using this roasting company in Connecticut called Omar. Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually still in business. I've seen oh, coffee really? at a yeah. I was at a little breakfast place up in Vermont. I'm on my way to go skiing, and I, I stopped in a. A bakery and, and they, they had, had Omar coffee. <laughs> coffee there. It was really strange, but yeah, That's they never sad. roasted. They never got into the roasting. So, at what point in your life path <laughs> did you say yeah. I'm going to be a roaster? <laughs> yeah, I, I never imagined getting into the business when I graduated high school and went to college. I it was not even in the back of my mind. It was just yeah. completely out of my mind because at that point in time, my parents had shut down the last location. They had this like bell curve of success of the business. They started doing really, really well. And then right. Dunkin' Donuts started opening in town with yes. drive-thrus. And then like the, yeah. the influx of Dunkin' Donuts franchise locations throughout the whole entire East Coast um, kind of changed yeah. things for like mom and pop shops. And 
especially in in like i feel like the northeast connecticut totally. massachusetts oh my god duncan is like a thing yeah <laughs> i lived in boston it's yeah. like yeah, yeah. it's a thing I, yeah i was yeah. in Quincy not too long ago and i ended up driving past the first ever dunkin donuts so that was kind of cool there wasn't that much obviously i'm only 29 i don't know if there was as much enthusiasm about shopping local and and shopping mom and pop shops and small business yeah i feel um, like it's weird i feel like they're Obviously, that's like the original is like, you know, support the local butcher, mm-hmm. the local coffee shop. And then yeah. I feel like these franchises came in and provided this like fast, casual nature. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, this is so convenient. This is so great. Totally. And now everybody's like, oh, it's trendy to yeah. shop <laughs> local again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my parents um, got hit with that yeah. and they ended up closing down. When I went to college, they closed down the last location. And yeah. that was kind of it. I'd never imagined going into it. Went to school, studied marketing studied operations management and economics and took some supply chain courses and some marketing channels courses. And I was mm-hmm. pretty fascinated by the journey of raw materials to f- finished product. So right. interested in supply chain and graduated, actually backtracked. Founder of Soul Cacao, one of the three founders, one, one of the brothers. Dan. One of our partners. Yeah. Yes, yeah. One of your yeah. partners, one of the Maloney brothers, Dan, I went to college with him and we were really good friends and we still are. Once he found out that my family was in the coffee business, he was, he was kind of blown away because the process is so similar to chocolate, which they had been mm-hmm. talking quite a bit about at that point. So he was like, oh, you got to get hadn't, into it. They hadn't started their business, right? They were, they've been brainstorming that business since we For were, I, don't, I think, freshmen in college, wow, if, if not wild. sophomore year, definitely freshman <laughs> yeah. year. And they started it before we, before Dan and I even graduated in 2013. So this was like, you know, almost 10 years ago now. At that time, I was like, mm, it's really cool that they're similar, but I'm not really interested in it. I'm going to try to do my own thing. You know, I grew up in kind of a small town in Northwest Connecticut. I was trying to carve my own path and become my own person. And the last thing yeah. I wanted to do was like go back into the family. Yeah. <laughs> like, I moved to New York for a reason. So time passed. I kind of recognized my interest in sustainable agriculture and production and supply chains and manufacturing and coffee. You know, after he said that, it kind of sat in the back of my mind for a really long time. Mm-hmm. These things were all just kind of swirling around one another. And Dan was always nudging me to, to take a look at it. And <laughs> he was always there just keeping me interested in it, yeah. keeping me thinking about it. And eventually uh, one thing led to another and a bunch of small things happened. And eventually I was yeah. like, you know what, let's just do it and, and give it a shot. So. so so when you get to that point, like let's say someone else out there, you know, is interested in becoming a coffee roaster or starting a business where do you begin? Like, I know the side of starting a business from scratch from like, you know, an yeah. e-commerce business, but where, where do you even begin? You know, that's a great question. Uh, I, I began by taking a step in the direction of getting the Q certification for coffee cupping, which is the, mm-hmm. like the internationally recognized coffee tasting certification, which I figured would give me a good sense of how good coffee was supposed to taste. So I figured if I knew what good coffee was supposed to taste like, and I could figure out a way to roast it, and I could find a friend of mine who could do some sort of graphic design work for me, then I could probably piece together enough to get started. I, honestly, I, I don't know what the first step would be for somebody to get into it. I think it would be you have to find, unless you have a ton of capital up front to invest in a right. space and a roaster right, all at once without even having any experience in it. I'd say the best place to get started would be to visit a, a roasting collective. like the place. And that's what you do, right? That's what but, I do. I, yeah. I roast yeah. out of a shared collective space where there are, I think there's around 20 roasters there now. And we rent space on, on a roaster. It's owned by a, an incredibly helpful and awesome guy named Paulo. 
And uh, whenever we have questions, we can talk to him. If we want to talk to other roasters and ask questions or share coffees or talk coffee, that's that's the space where we do that. But that's a great. So, yeah, I mean, so putting aside like obviously the, you know, branding and and coming up with the name and Mm -hmm. all of that. First of all, what does the name mean? Yeah, that's my Graziella is my grandmother's name. My my mom's mom's name. Got it. Got it. So besides that, obviously, which is Mm. a whole other thing, um, how do you source coffee? Like, where do you begin? You know, how did you know what would be, you know, reliable, good, ethically sourced beans? And, you know, how do you kind of create those relationships when you don't have like a whole background or team in it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm still trying to figure out that answer. (laughs) You know, um, I was just having a conversation with this, this guy who works for Caravella Coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is James and just talking to importers and exporters and people who have direct relationships with farmers and you know learning more about what practices they're using how transparent they are what prices the farmers are getting paid it's just like it's just a constant learning process and there's so much research that goes into it especially as someone who doesn't have any real connections in the industry it's kind of just a, like a trial by fire sampling a bunch of coffee many dealers as you possibly can or importers or farmers and you just kind of work your way through it plus there are so many different names for things so many certifications and names that don't have certifications and the word you know the term direct trade gets thrown around a lot but that could mean so many different things to different people right that's just like uh, i don't know that's a whole there's so many different components of of this process to learn and to to be experienced in that it's a lot. So, you know, from a roasting perspective, obviously there's a million different types of beans to source and there there's a million different regions that grow coffee and different altitudes and all these different ways that, you know, th- from from the farming perspective. But from mm-hmm. a roasting perspective, what are like the basic steps for somebody who doesn't know? You know, when you get the beans, what happens? <laughs> What happens from yeah. the very beginning? I've seen you roast coffee and, and mm-hmm. I didn't know, you know, how many steps there were and, and the intricate details and how much attention you need to, you know, pay attention to every little thing. What are what are the steps and what are some mistakes people make when roasting coffee that you've either learned the hard way or learned? Sure, yeah. <laughs> I get one that comes to mind immediately is like something as simple as so you know, we're not on video and I don't have any images to display this for people who don't know much about roasting. They're, the beans, you filter the beans into a drum. If you think of like a, a rotisserie, like a chicken rotisserie where the chicken is on the spigot and it's rotating. Yes. The beans go into this drum that rotates over a flame and that's how they get cooked. They kind of tumble in there and the heat heats them up and they go through all these different chemical processes. The sugars get caramelized and go through all this these different chemical breakdowns. And at the end, you have these hopefully perfectly cooked light brown coffee beans that's come out and they fall out of the drum when you open the door into this thing called the cooling tray, where there's a, there are arms in the cooling tray that rotate and spin the coffee around. And underneath the drum, they sit on this aerated platform where there's an induction fan that pulls heat out of the beans. So they're getting the rotation to cool them off. And they're also getting the the heat pulled away from them by a super strong fan underneath. And then they sit in there. And then once they're done cooling, you open up another door and they <laughs> fall out into a little bucket. However, if you don't close that door before you open the drum and let all the beans fall out into the cooling tray, they'll go straight from the cooling tray onto the floor. Yeah, and that's that a problem. <laughs> so yeah, that's a Kind of just a stupid anecdote. You know, when the beans come out and then there's ones that don't look like the rest of them, maybe they're burnt or maybe sure. they're darker. What is that? And and 
you know, sometimes you do see bags of coffee you buy in the store and some of the beans are different colors. And I'm thinking, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I feel like that shouldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't think that's correct. Yeah. You know, some beans get caught up. If you don't open the the door to the drum for long enough, some beans end up getting caught up. Like one or two beans or three beans get caught up in the roaster and then they go through another roasting process. And then when you spit that out with your next batch, it's going to be completely charred. It'll be totally black. Right. And that will completely, if you get that in your cup, you'll notice it. Um, yeah. Then there are just underripe beans that sometimes go into the, you know, they sneak through the kind of the QA. Right. On the production site, they sneak into the bag, underripe, overripe cherries. And then those those don't have as much of an impact as the charred beans, but those will also show up as kind of like discolored beans after the roast. And what are some of the biggest challenges when it comes to roasting? You know, obviously you're doing it solo. Sure. You know, you you don't have a whole team. So what what are the most the biggest challenges you would say when it comes to running your own business? <laughs> I could go on all. <laughs> Is that day a whole other podcast? <laughs> That's a whole other hour. Okay, let's let's start with parking the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Finding a parking spot in an industrial area where I'm not going to get a ticket. Um, right. Carrying all of the empty bags and all the equipment. Uh, are the beans delivered to your roasting space or they are, are they delivered to your house? <laughs> no, that would be terrible. They are, there's a terminal in New Jersey where it's just a, have you ever been to the Continental Terminal in New Jersey where they store all of the coffee? No, but I want to be. Yeah, you should. Yeah, take a trip that's there. Awesome. With, with that's awesome. At some point. Yeah. Um, it's just a massive climate-controlled warehouse space where coffee from all over the world comes into and is then dispatched from. Um, so if I buy coffee from an importer, typically they're going to ship it to or be holding it already in Continental in New Jersey. And yeah. then they will release it, which means they like open it up to be picked up by someone, which would be myself. And then wow. either I will go down to New Jersey and pick it up or... The collective has a green shuttle service where we pay like a $30 flat fee per bag to get it picked Mm -hmm. up for us, which is super convenient if you're tight for time, which most of us are. So it is in most cases, that's what happens. In other cases, there are, for example, I've I've just started buying coffee from this place, Finca Terrarito in in Honduras. But they're amazing. I know a lot about them. Yeah, they're amazing. (laughs) I love them so much. Uh, Harry and Leticia, um, they have their warehouse in Atlanta so they're not going to have their coffee shipped to New Jersey and then have someone go pick it up they already have their own warehouse so they're going to deliver it directly to the roasting collective right so yeah it's either New Jersey or coffee gets delivered delivered right to the collective it does not come to my apartment in Brooklyn no so quite quite the process and so are you bagging yourself how does that work and yeah you know when someone orders a bag right you're bagging it mailing it sure yeah. Are there any challenges with that? <laughs> of course. Besides yeah. shipping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm bagging everything on my own and I'm roasting once a week and I'm basically sending out orders all week long as they come in. I bring the empty bags to the roasting facility. I'll roast. And then I, there's this thing called the weigh and fill machine, which is super helpful. It's like a big machine where you pour like 100 pounds of coffee or 150 pounds of coffee up top. And then it, it weighs out 12 ounce or 16 ounce bags for you. And all you do is let it fill up, hold the bag underneath it, press the foot pedal. It, it dumps the coffee out. And while it's refilling for the next 12 ounces, right next to the weigh and fill machine is a little sealer that's heat seals the bag closed. So you'll take it from the weigh and fill, close it with the heat sealer, and then put it off to the side. 
So it's kind of just like a got it a chain like that. Fill, seal, close, label, put it away. Yeah. And that's kind of the way that the process goes. And what's the deal with the tasting notes? How much of it is accurate and how much of it is like bullshit? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's a totally fair <laughs> question. I think uh, that's one of the things that I think in, in all in all food, specifically coffee, wine, chocolate, it's one of those things that tends to keep people away or keep people from experiencing it or talking about the way in which they're experiencing it because they're afraid of being wrong. They're afraid of not tasting the right things or in that certification course that I went to, I was with 14 other people. Most of them had been in the industry for quite some time. And we went around after we'd we, we probably cupped 20, 30, 40 coffees over the course of three days. Wow. And every coffee we cupped, we would take notes. There's an objective list of things that you're looking for in that certification and in cupping. You're looking for acidity. You're looking for flavor. You're looking for aftertaste and body. And you're looking for sweetness in the cup. You're looking for these objective right. markers that are, they're chemical things, right? Right. They're things that you can get citric acid and you can, dilute it in water and you can taste it and the experience of of feeling citric acid for me and for you is probably going to be the same thing or any right. of these acids so those are the objective things that right. is, that the level of acidity the intensity intensity of the acidity and the intensity of the body it's going to differ a tiny bit but what's going to be probably completely different especially if we grew up in different places if i grew up in vietnam and you grew up in texas or florida yeah I'm probably going to taste in a fruity, citrusy coffee. Maybe I'll taste lychee and rambutan and dragon fruit. And maybe you'll taste oranges and tangerines. Right. Because you've never had lychee or rambutan. Right. And right. flavor is so... Flavor and palate go hand in hand with memory. And it's all based on your past experiences. So there's a good chance that your past experience with flavor and with flavors and with palate is going to be totally different than mine. So just because we taste something different, it doesn't mean that my my experience is right and your experience is wrong or because you taste cherries and I taste currants. Right. It doesn't make one of us right. It's just we all right. have different experiences with it. You know, you're making a bag of coffee and it says pomegranate, molasses, and yeah. burnt sugar. I'm just making it up. Sure, sure. Um, what is the best way to make that cup of coffee at home to really, I mean, look, there's like making coffee on the go and, mm -hmm. and that's great too. But if you really want to taste or make the most of the coffee or really taste the flavors, mm -hmm. what would be the best way to do it at home? I'll probably get a different answer from many different people. <laughs> my, my favorite way to do it is to use a Chemex, like a Chemex mm -hmm. pour over, because I just, I don't know if it's the filters that, I have with the Chemex or what it is about it, but I find that I get the cleanest cup from it. I, I found that I usually get a cleaner cup from that than I do from a, a drip machine. I don't have the best espresso machine here, and that makes a totally different cup of coffee as well. AeroPress, I haven't really dialed in fully yet. Again, like disclaimer, I have no background as a barista. So if anybody is listening to this and is upset that I haven't dialed in the AeroPress yet or thinks that I should if I'm going to own a roasting company. You're probably right, but I just haven't done it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so the Chemex is the Chemex has been my favorite so far. But yeah, again, it's one of those things where it's kind of it's subjective. It's yeah, it's, it's like food. It's like cooking. <laughs> yeah, they're all tools. Yeah, they're all tools for extraction. You're trying to hit you're trying to hit optimal extraction for a coffee, and whatever helps you do that, more power to you. How do you drink coffee at home? I just made a, a little pour over with a, like a knockoff Hario V60 single cup pour over. 
<laughs> but it's I don't even know where it's from. It's like yeah, it's not it's not the real one. What misconceptions do you feel like people have about the coffee industry, the coffee roasting, the whole thing as a whole? Good question. <laughs> that is fun. No, I'm kidding. It is fun. Is it fun? Is it fun? <laughs> it can be fun. It can be fun. Okay. No, it's it's good. Hundred percent in in so many different ways. I mean, in a really simple way, going back to objective tasting and, and palate, just the bad rap that the word acidity has in in food in general. I guess you could say. I know in the amongst the learned people, like chefs, acidity has a it's a very important thing because it brings balance to a dish in the same way that fat and salt and does. But, you know, you hear people talking about acidity as if it's almost the enemy in terms of coffee. You see coffees marketed as low acidity. And, and again, palate and flavor are subjective. So maybe for some people, acid is the enemy. But that acidity is is what brings life to those fruity, citrusy, pleasantly fruity and pleasantly citrusy notes in in a cup they're they're the thing that gives life and balance to a cup so right you know when you say acidity people like mm, i love my mom and, and she she loves good coffee but for someone who's a little bit worried about too much acidity upsetting their stomach or mm-hmm. someone with digestive issues you know i don't know i just i feel like that's that word acidity is kind of caught up in a, in a bunch of misunderstanding and, and underappreciation amongst people who, you know, who haven't really taken the time to appreciate it. Right. Right. What's like one last thing you'd want people to know or think about or anything about, you know, coffee or your business or, you know, sure. what, yeah. Sure. I, what comes to mind first for me is, probably the importance of taking your time, taking the extra one or two minutes in the grocery store or the specialty food store or wherever you're getting your groceries. Or honey and roses. Yeah, or, or <laughs> just happen to be on honey and roses for some reason. <laughs> taking the time to to pay attention where you're getting your, your, your food from and your beverages right. from. And yeah. yeah. And you know, one of my friends, Megan, she said, we vote every day with our dollar. You know, we want to change. That's a good line. Yeah. That's a really good line. We yeah. want to change the world and we want to increase the amount of sustainable agriculture and we want better supply chains and we want farmers and laborers to get paid more. That means, unfortunately, the reality is that we need to pay more for our stuff. If right. I'm paying $5 a pound for green coffee, so that the farmer can get paid 75 or 100% over market value and actually live a decent life, how could I possibly go through production, bag the coffee, have anyone work for me, and have you expect to buy the bag for 8 or $9? You know, how would anyone make any kind of money in that environment? How would the, how would the retailer make money? How would I be able to stay in business? So I think... Yeah, just paying a little bit more attention to what you're buying, where it's coming from, and taking a second to really think about how much things actually cost. Right. You know, because there is a real cost to, obviously, there is a real cost to everything, but there's a real cost to to building and pushing forward sustainable systems and creating new systems that actually work for everyone in the system. And if you want right. to take part in that, and if you want the world to look like that, then it starts in the grocery store. It starts with your shopping every week. 
Right. I think that's important. I think everybody, you know, is shifting to this perspective of being more aware. I mean, for so long, people have turned a blind eye or maybe it just wasn't, you know, spoken about or they didn't know Mm -hmm. about, you know, ingredients or what's in your food or what's in even a bottle of liquor that has like 700 ingredients that you've never heard of. So I feel like, you know, there's obviously a trend and I think it's Mm -hmm. good to you know know just like when you look at like a pasta sauce like you want something that like you recognize what's in it and and that it's fresh Mm -hmm. and labels and all these things are really important but I do think you know supporting local coffee roasters local business you know I think that's important and you you're doing a great job and I have to say that the biggest compliment we get is your notes (laughs) people love them I mean man I can't tell you how many people comment on that and you know for those of you who don't know he'll write what do you write just like a personal note to the person who bought the coffee yeah I don't know anything about most of the people who buy the coffee besides people who buy it directly off the website have good taste (laughs) (laughs) like clearly you have good taste thank you no, I mean, it just like depends on what time of the year it is. And we've yeah. all gone through so much this year already that it's, I know. it's um it's nice to send people an uplifting message. And it's, it's also nice to be on the receiving end of something analog, something, right. that, something that someone did with their own hands, as weird as that sounds. But, yeah. No, I you know, know what, what I mean? you mean, though, because even <laughs> it's funny because, you know, you get emails that say like, hi, Ella, welcome back. I, you know, you know, they're exactly. fake, you know, they're automatic, exactly. but you're but like, do they want to talk yeah, to you? Yeah, like exactly. you, oh, you feel you like. You see that <laughs> shitty handwriting and you know a person yeah. actually wrote that. <laughs> you know, that wasn't fake, <laughs> though. I'm sure exactly. at some point someone's going to be having, you know, a company that just writes fake exactly. uh, letters. With shitty no, I, I, love, I love writing those notes because I always, one of the things I thought about when I started putting boxes together and when I started ordering the custom packaging tape and I started ordering the stickers and, and the custom tissue paper, I'm like, God, this is adding up to, you know, 50, 60, 70 cents per box extra. But I've always wanted people when they got the box to feel like they got a present and to feel like it's an experience of opening it and finally getting to the bag of coffee. You know, you, you see the custom paper, you cut it open. You open it up, there's a sticker and there's a note in there and you read the note and then you unwrap the coffee and it's like, oh, cool, I have this coffee. It's not just like a blank a blank right. box with like Amazon tape and no note and no nothing. Do you hand stamp the bags? Yeah, yeah we sure do. My God. girlfriend my girlfriend and, and I <laughs> hand stamp those bags. That's We're working on a re- rebranding, repackaging right now. So yeah. hopefully that will be rolling out in the next like three to four months because those bags are, you know, that's why some of them are diagonal and some of them are crooked and some of them are stamped mm-hmm. incorrectly because that's speedball water-based ink that we have to, first of all, create the colors for. And it's a process getting it set up. It's messy. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, all of those bags are hand stamped and hand put together. And wow. it's kind of fun because it, it each one is like you're giving someone a little personalized handmade gift. But totally. yeah, we do. But it's a lot. We did that for a while too. And uh I remember for the coffee festival we did, which I guess was 2019, we were just started. And Joe did like, I think it was like 3,500 cups a day. He was like stamping. And oh my God, it was. You go mad when you do that. I know. You really need to like get in there. Yeah, your neck starts to hurt and your wrist starts to hurt. I know. know. That's a lot of bags. So if you buy um, Graziella coffee, you'll get a note, hand stamped bag. Handmade, well, I guess handmade That's coffee. It. Yeah, sort from, of. from beginning, there's a lot yeah. of hands. I, I, I wrote that in some yeah, of my notes. Yeah, there's a lot of hands. That, there's a lot of hands touching there is coffee. Clean hands, there really but is. there's a lot of hands. I write that in some of my notes. Yeah. It's like when you take time to support small roasters and people who are sourcing well, 
even I mean, regardless, whenever you're taking time to buy coffee, it's like there's so many hands that that coffee has passed through. There's so many people who put their their work and dedication into into bringing that bag to you, no matter how it tastes. Right, and there's like I think so many different the supply chain is so intricate mm-hmm. in a way um, that I feel like people don't realize. You know, from the farmers and the people who you know every step of the farming process. Like I've actually talked to Alma and Leticia, yeah. you know, about the farming process yep. and and you know people who are getting paid to do each step of that process and that are feeding their families from the money that you're paying for the bag. And then, you know, the way it's shipped and the shipping and the, you know, the carriers and, and just like, I don't know, it's just such a much more intricate process than I think people realize. But thank you so much for being on our podcast today. It was really great. And, you know, support Tony and his coffee. (laughs) It was really nice. It's always nice talking to you. And it's been such a good time being part of the platform. It was like such a nice surprise last year kind of came out of note you gotta thank gotta thank ashley uh who has the account coffee yes. nut because she's the one who was like you have to try this <laughs> yes, coffee yeah. no, I can, never, I know. and she's picky like she's yep. picky <laughs> no i love her she's been so sweet since the very beginning she was like one of the original fans i have to thanks for reminding yeah. me i should like surprise send her a bag of coffee before she hears this <laughs> yeah that, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, thank you Thanks, so much Tony. for having me. Thank you for having me as part of the platform and being part of this uh, group of awesome, small and medium-sized roasters. And it's been a really cool journey and I'm looking forward to what's ahead. Us too. Thank Take you care. so much.